Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I've got a really great guest today, uh, Chuck McGraw. Uh, he has experience with the U.S. Navy SEALs. He's currently a partner at TLDR Capital. And we're going to be talking about some key takeaways he has from his experience with the U.S. Navy SEALs. We're going to be talking about distributed teams. So I'll, I'll let Chuck take it from here. But uh, Chuck, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks, Richard, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting with you today. Yeah, oh, excellent. So tell me about um, your background, your experience with the Navy SEALs. That's a rare thing that, uh, you know, that it's an amazing accomplishment. So, yeah, tell me about that. And then we'll segue into how that's helped you with your current work in TLDR. Absolutely. Well, uh, a little bit about me. I was born and raised in New York. I uh, came from upstate, uh, a place called Watertown. It's one of, uh, is known as the Snowtown USA. It's one of the coldest, snowiest places that exists in the country. I think that's a good thing. It probably helped me through my SEAL training just a little bit managing with a cold, but um, born and raised in upstate New York. Uh, right around when I was 17, I decided to join the Navy, and it was to the point where uh, my mom had to write a sign a permission slip, which allowed me to go in because I was younger than the uh, the, the, the age that was allowed. Um, I always knew, probably since I was uh, in, probably 11 or 12 years old, that I wanted to go into the SEAL teams. I wanted to do something challenging, something um, that I could do to serve my country, and then uh, do something exciting as well. I was a bit of a thrill seeker as a kid. And so all that transitioned over quite well in the SEAL teams. So I was 17 when I went in, I went to SEAL training in Coronado in 1996. I did a 20 year career and retired back in 2016. Uh, when I retired, I worked for a startup up in the, up in the Bay. And then last, uh, or I'm sorry, in April, um, I made a switch over to working over at TLDR. And what, what are you doing right now at TLDR? What's your role there? So TLDR, I'm the chief of operations, and my main focus is running the day-to-day operations uh, and definitely a globally distributed and decentralized team, um, and then helping to work sort of the system integrations and helping to find procedure and process, and really allowing us to be incredibly agile and resilient in an ever-changing uh, external environment that we're dealing with. And what's, what is, you know, this probably won't matter at all, but what does TLDR stand for, the acronym? It's probably just people's it, names and, you know. Exactly, exactly what you think. Uh, too long, didn't read. Okay. <laughs> what, what is the TL, What does the company do itself? So we, we mainly focus on advisory uh, services with regards to technologies in the blockchain industry, but also we advise on cyber and physical security. Um, think about digital, mar- uh, excuse me, digital strategy marketing. Um, we look at business-to-business relationships. How do you effectively go to market? How do you effectively scale an organization? Um, how do you secure and harden your uh, cyber posture? That's a multitude of advisory services that we provide for our clients. Okay. So, you know, uh, what attracted TLDR to hire you? You know, what is it about your Navy SEALs background? Did they think you would just be a really hard worker because you worked so hard in the Navy SEALs, or was there other aspects of it that they were attracted to? 
I think work ethic is definitely one of them. Of course, the teams are known. It's very easy to associate the attribute of, uh, you know, the work ethic that we bring to the table just because of our past performance. The other thing is, during my time in the military, I spent a significant amount of time working in operations. I was the operations chief for two major commands where um, I did this at a large, quite a bit of a larger scale. Um, and then thirdly, the SEAL teams have become uh, pretty much, uh, we've become very well adapted to working in decentralized teams. Uh, and that was almost, there was a forcing factor of the combat that we had to conduct over the years because we were having to adapt to an ever-changing external environment. So we had to adapt how we did business on our side. So what's, you know, to you, what's a team versus a decentralized team? I mean, you know, a team to me has a known leader and everyone has known roles and they work together and they report to the leader. But what's a decentralized team? How is it different? So in, in that sense, it's still the same thing. People think, um, people say, well, a decentralized team is how you remain flat. But I would contest that businesses don't succeed when they're completely flat. When it comes down to it, you have to have a person that's going to take full responsibility for um, the whatever occurs on that team. So there definitely is some type of hierarchy, right? Uh, the other thing, if you think about it, is that if everybody is, you know, making decisions on their own and there's not one single person, um, how can you ever get anything done? Uh, it, it's very challenging. So. Just because the team is decentralized doesn't mean that it can't have a standard org structure. It's how you actually execute. The one way that I say to think about how to effectively be a decentralized distributed team is centralized planning, decentralized execution. And what I mean by that is um, you think of the standard org structure where every it's centralized planning, centralized execution. That is where decision making is held at you know, only a small uh, section of the organization, usually at the upper echelons. Um, that's where all the decisions are made. So it's very bureaucratic. Uh, it's very much in a sense where to get things done can be quite challenging. Now, if you think about centralized planning, decentralized execution, what that means is you essentially come together and you plan how you're going to execute and you delegate your the authorities to make decisions to the people that are closest to whatever the problem is, closest to the client, closest to whatever situation is going on and allow them the autonomy to make those decisions. And when I say centralized planning, you don't have to all be in a conference room or a meeting space or whatever it may be. Um, your team could be distributed and decentralized around the world, but you can essentially just get on a teleconference and go over your planning. You can use shared documents, um, which you can collaborate on. In a sense, you're centrally locating all, those, uh, all that content, and that's how you can bring the team together in a distributed environment. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a lot of companies that are working in blockchain and crypto, um, and they, you know, they're big on the concept of decentralizing everything. But just personally, it seems like they take it too far and they stray very far from what's worked for, you know, tens of thousands of companies and organizations. And they, it's a little bit too fast and loose, just in my opinion. But so how do you reconcile probably what was very rigid but adaptable in the Navy SEALs to what goes on in the corporate world. Like what, what have you noticed is the schism between what you know and what works and what works out in the corporate world or is there and you know, how have you addressed it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, well, first and foremost, when, when you think of a decentralized team where you're giving the authority to take action based off what that individual is dealing with, 
Um, a lot of people are uncomfortable doing that in leadership positions. They don't feel like, it, you know, they want to have control. So first and foremost, you have to be comfortable relinquishing control to the people that you work with, to whether it's uh, your peers or subordinates that are all over the world that are making those decisions to allow them that freedom of movement and maneuver to actually um, affect the, uh, the business in a positive way. Um, in order to do that, there's a couple of things that need to happen. Um, you have to have a, you know, a, a shared understanding of the vision of the company, first and foremost. We all believe in the vision of the company where it's going. I don't care where you are, where you are in the world, we all share that vision. vision. Secondly, a really clearly defined mission, like what are we doing? What are our objectives? And what is our strategy to accomplish those objectives? Again, that's where you come together centrally. You plan those things. You communicate those things. You discuss what your mission is. What are our key objectives we're going to hit for the year? How do we, what is our strategy to actually um, um, achieve those objectives? Uh, you don't have, like I said, again, you don't have to be in a conference room to have that conversation. Um, and it's actually sometimes can be better when you're distributed around the world because when you're planning what your sort of objectives are for a period of time and the strategy to go about executing them, information is paramount. So the closer you are to your client um, and the closer you are into different geographies and the information that is out there, the better decision making uh, will occur. Makes sense. Okay. You know, what do you see, you know, what are some habits, habits again, of the corporate world that you see that, you know, need changing? You know, when you first came in there, I'm sure things ran a certain way and you changed them at least somewhat and adapted them. So, and I don't know if this applies to all companies because you're just within that one. But what do you see as the, again, the differentiators? What does the corporate world need to learn from what you know as a Navy SEAL? Absolutely. That's a great question. The, you know, one of the thoughts is like we talked about, you know, you have the shared vision, you understand the mission, the objectives that you need to accomplish and the strategy that you use to achieve those objectives. The other part of it is you want to make sure you properly uh, recruit and vet the people to put on that team because you have to have a significant amount of trust um, for that person to make that decision in your absence. So understanding where they are when they come on board, properly resourcing them and training them to make those decisions. The other piece of it is um, clearly defining sort of the left and right limits by which, you can, which they can make those decisions. Now, you don't have to add a bunch of constraints. You don't have to tell them how to do business, but just say, hey, here's your left limit. Here's your right limit. You understand where you need to go. Figure it out. I trust you. you, you whatever you need, just let us know and clearly uh, facilitate clear lines of communication as well. So as they're progressing towards that end state or that objective, they're not going outside of those boundaries, but they have clear lines of communication. So if they hit, say, a speed bump or a roadblock, they can easily communicate back to the people with the resources or the allocation of resources or understanding what's going on in different business units inside the organization and support you in making those adjustments or getting over that speed bump or getting over that, that roadblock. Um, and that sort of dovetails in the fact that you need to be properly resourced. Uh, you have to have those clear lines of communication. And the other thing is you have to be incredibly transparent in, in your decision-making process at all levels of the organization. The reason you want to do that is if you're trusting your team to make the decisions without you being there, if they understand how the organization makes the, uh, you know, the operational or strategic decisions, they will use that sort of same framework in making their own decisions. So where do you see uh, corporations, you know, again, running at the problems? Is it you know, it's corporate culture sometimes get in the way of communication because of politics and people jockeying for position or, you know, where do you see that they need help? 
I think one of the one of the problems I've seen in the past and just my exposure in the private sector and even in the military is not having a clear understanding of what the mission of the org is, not clearly defining what the objectives we need to accomplish. And what happens is when you're on a, say you're distributed around the world and you're not close to headquarters, you're not close to uh, the team that's making all the decisions on their own and developing the strategy. Um, you try to make the best decisions that you can and you're progressing along in your business unit. Um, however, it's not in line with what the organization is doing. And what can happen is you can get demotivated. You can, it, it's almost like, why am I doing this? What does this matter? If you don't have an understanding of, of what you're doing and how it affects the business in a positive way, um, that can be incredibly negative. Like everybody wants to feel like they're contributing to supporting the mission of the org. So it's imperative. And one of the things I've seen is a breakdown is upper level management, middle management. Um, they, have, they may not necessarily communicate how what you're doing is, is tied to the mission of the org. Yeah, I remember that personally. I worked for a, a semiconductor company 20 years ago, and I remember they said, you know, hurry up and work on this project, and then they shelved it. And then it was like, hurry up and work on this other project, and then they, you know, they changed it. So after a while, I felt like, well, what's the point? And, you know, I would work on stuff, and I would talk to the designers of the semiconductors, and they would not want to talk to me, you know, because I was a young guy that just started working there. So I didn't know how what I did mattered and how it affected the organization. So you're right. After a while, I was just like, well, I don't care. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it turns, it, the thing is, when you're, when you understand and you believe the vision of the company and, and you, you get behind the mission, um, it, it becomes passion, right? You become very, you're taking the initiative. You're very proactive. When you sort of remove that, it just becomes a nine to five. You're punching the clock. You really don't care as much. And when you lose that, uh, the, or the company is going to suffer. And over time, that's why a lot of the companies that don't effectively communicate what the mission of the org is and resource you to do it and offer you those clear lines of communication and very much so to the point of the, the company you reference, were they very transparent with you as to why that, that project wasn't going to, to go any further and they shelved it? Maybe if they're transparent and said, hey, you know, that was great work. However, we're changing the direction of, uh, of the strategy by which we're going to market. And this is how we're going to adapt to it. Can you support us by working on this project now? But if they're constantly updating you, being transparent on the decisions making, making that's going on, you can feel engaged. Everybody wants to feel engaged and part of something that, something that uh, they believe in, right? Yeah. In your experience, can you fix people if you come into a company and, you know, they have their people that have, long you know gotten bored or stopped caring or is it uh you know you have to put them into new opportunities and get new people in there can you fix the culture and then how do you maintain it you know i'm sure after a while um if you don't do things right people's interest kind of lags and they they're not excited about it you know in a, in a while yeah i i'm a firm believer there's no bad teams just bad leaders uh, a lot of times what you find is you get a really solid uh, group of people together. They work well together, but the leader of that team is just not effective at clearly telling them, hey, this is what you need to do. These are your boundaries. And then here are your resources to go about it. Uh, when you have that bad leader in that position, the team is not going to be successful. Um, one of the challenges is if you don't recruit that team, how do you know it's a good team? I, I, I'm a firm believer you can change people and make them more effective by just a couple simple things. One, you have to care about the people that are working for you and that you're working with. You have to take that time to get to know somebody on a personal level. 
Um, what that does is that sort of builds, it helps build integrity. I'm not necessarily going to make decisions that may benefit me. I may make this, I, that sort of pivot and I'm going to start to make decisions that will benefit the team. If I have that attachment with the other people I'm working with, it's more that team mentality. This isn't about me. This is about the team. This isn't about me. This isn't anything personal. This is about the org. I'm going to spend that extra time to work on this project. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a 16, 18 hour day because if I don't, I'm letting my team down. My team is going to suffer. Um, you need to build that into your organization that understand the team spirit and how everybody's decisions affects the team. And that sort of goes back to that point of if I understand how the decisions I make affect the mission or affect us achieving the objective, my decision-making process is going to be different. I'm going to make the, the decisions that will be for the betterment of the team as opposed to the betterment of myself. Um, and that's truly that, you know, the selfless nature that we try to push. I mean, in the SEAL teams, uh, it's one of, the, one of the biggest reasons people quit SEAL training is because they don't want to let down the team or they're too self-focused on whatever the pain or the challenges that they're enduring. They don't realize that if you look left and to your right, you have an entire team around you that's, that's going through the same, same problem, the same challenges. Yeah, I've heard of stories, it might have been in the SEALs, uh, you know, of a team winning and then the, uh, you know, the drill sergeant saying, all right, you're going to lead the, the worst team now, and switching up the leaders of the teams and, you know, leaders having to adapt to a team that was the worst and then making them the best again. Have you experienced anything like that? Oh, yeah. During SEAL training, they do that quite a bit. We actually do it um, not only in SEAL training. There's other things that we do so people can experience, understand what it's like about leadership to apply different leadership uh, styles. Um, we change up leadership quite a bit during training to give uh, guys the opportunities to lead different type of personalities. Um, we've even done something or we even do the things where we'll take the most junior person uh, on a team and we'll put them in charge for a certain evolution um, or different people at different leadership or sort of different um, positions, like different uh, leadership roles. Uh, and we put them more of a senior role. And the idea is if you experience what it's like to be a leader for a day, you're going to have empathy. Uh, so that way, next time that, you know, someone in a leadership position is telling you something to do, you can relate of how challenging that is. And you'll have that empathy and that will actually build camaraderie in a team as well. But, yeah, switching up leadership all the time, that, that definitely can be uh, sort of exciting. If you're on the other side, if you're on the instructor side, to, to watch the teams learn how to adapt, uh, it's quite interesting to see. So how do you recreate that in the uh, corporate world, the private sector, without people you know, crying or saying this is unfair and, you know, how do you do that and make it work and improve people? I think you have to, one of the things I've noticed over time is that when you go into organization and you want to implement change, you can't sit there and take the ship and turn it 180 degrees in a period of, you know, a couple hours or even a week or, you know, even months. You have to make slow incremental changes, but you have to communicate to the team why. You have to explain to them why these decisions are ma being made. And that's what I mean when I say transparency, clearly defining that to the team. If, that, if the decisions are made with the, you know, the, the proper, based off the proper uh, reasons, people can get behind that. They'll understand this isn't something personal. It's not a matter of control. It's not that they don't trust me. It's for the betterment of the team. And you have to do slow incremental changes. Nobody does well. Change management doesn't do well when you, when you add like 10 different variables that people need to change do slow incremental changes, explain the why, be okay with the person needing time to adapt. The other thing is sometimes in business, people do things differently. And, and instead of uh, making them follow your process, your procedure, 
if what they're doing is effective, um, in, instead of doing it just your way, maybe step back and say, how can I build a system around them to support them doing what they're doing, but allow me to get the information I need to help make those proper business decisions or allocate them resources? And that's something that we've done in our firm is that we've integrated quite a few systems. We've done minor changes to uh, like our different processes and our procedures, and we slowly are adapting over time and refining how we're doing things to be more efficient. Uh, and it's really awesome to see the team just sort of morph slowly in, in every day. It's like these little victories, and it's it's really interesting. So, yeah, are you able to quantify the difference you made at TLDR, like uh, you know through comments or metrics, or you know what have you observed over what time period? Yeah, the, I, I wouldn't say anything that I, I believe I've accomplished in my past. They I've, I've, they weren't my own accomplishments. This is definitely a team effort at TLDR. Everybody, it, it's one thing if. You say, hey, I came in and I did this and I did that and I, and I achieved all these great things. But the reality is you don't do that alone. You have to have the people that are willing to execute and perform um, to reach those accomplishments. We've, you know, the, the scale at which business or the, the speed at which business is changing in the industry that we're working in and to be able to um, build a system around the team that's globally distributed and allow them the autonomy to adapt and adjust and see how we have different business units spinning off. Um, and then being able to properly resource the the team that's out there on the front line that's spinning off these business units um, and be able to have a certain amount of control, but also being comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm, okay. Um, any last comments specifically on the blockchain world? I'm curious because, again, it's such a new industry and the whole underlying premise of it is decentralization. Does that make your job harder or is it you know, do you find the mindset of the people in that industry different from older industries? It, it definitely makes it harder. Uh, the the idea, just what I was, and pretty much the, what I was closing out that last comment was, I have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I have to be comfortable of maybe not having as much control over certain things that you normally would. You have to be comfortable with making decisions with less information um, and just executing. You can't have in this in this industry where things are changing so quickly. You can't have the perfect plan all the time. Sometimes you need to grab the rigorous tape and the super glue, put something together, start start executing on that. And then as you're getting more information of how things are are changing, or if we're working with a client and they're you know they're progressing forward on a certain project and the environment is changing around them. Um, to be able to adapt to that environment, right? Don't put too many constraints around the team so they can't adapt. And you have to be comfortable doing that. And a lot of people aren't. Okay. Well, very good. Um, last question or so. What, um, what advice would you have for listeners out there running their own companies or they want to start up their own initiative? You know, what are some of um, you know, the big sticking points that they'll run into if they don't watch out? What should they do when they're, again, working on their organization? I, I think if you want to boil it down into three things, trust, transparency, and communication. You might say, well, that sounds simple. Well, actually it is. It really is simple. Trust the people that you hire. Trust them to make the decisions that need to be made based off the information they're taking in. Be transparent on how decisions are being made. So in your absence, the person making that decision understands, okay, the, this is how the business works. This is how we do things. Um, and lastly, effective communication. Clearly define what you need somebody to do. Start with the why. Make them understand how they're attached to the mission. Make sure they understand maybe why the project isn't going to progress um, the way you initially thought. Be very transparent. Those three things, uh, if you can just simply work on that, that will give you incredible competitive advantage uh, in, in this day and age. 
Okay. I mean, it sounds simple, but they're, they're big things. And again, in my experience, it's, uh, it's rarely happened. So I see why they're important. Some of the most, the best things are the most obvious you could say, or common sense, but they're, they're not commonly used. Yeah. Common sense isn't always so common. It's hard. It really is hard to, especially, I think if you look at an organization that has several different runs, um, the, the more you scale, the further you get away from the front lines or the people that are, you know, out there doing the work, the boots on the ground, and you stay in sort of that, you know, that ivory tower, the less understanding you have of what they're dealing with, you lose that empathy, you lose that understanding. So you're making decisions for the person who has to execute on them without an understanding of their day-to-day lives. Um, I think when senior executives put themselves above um, the people that are doing all the work, that's an incredibly negative thing. Siloing themselves. People talk about silos and it's like, you know, you have the marketing silo, you have, um, you know, the, the, the sales silo, you have the operation silo or the finance silo. And everybody's making, well, there's a whole other silo in a different way. Instead of having a vertical line silo, there can be a horizontal line silo where leadership is making decisions on their own based on what they think is best. And they have no idea what actually is working. Uh, so removing those barriers, removing those horizontal silos is incredibly important. Very good. Right, so what's the best way for people to get in contact if they want to talk to you or suggest collaboration or get help? I think the, the easiest thing is to hit me up on LinkedIn, send me a note of uh, pretty much how I can be of assistance or we can potentially collaborate, whatever it may be. And that's the, the easiest way. That's great. Well, Chuck, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.